If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18 uh, this morning, and we're going to continue our series. Uh, man, if you're visiting with us today, thanks so much for being here, taking time to be here. I know we have a number of our folks that are like I was last week, uh, dealing with the common cold and flu bug, and, and so uh, please uh, take, those, uh, take the Mucinex D or whatever you need, because uh, it is going around. I hear people clearing their throats and... Got the little raspy cough and sinuses and whatnot, and so tis the season. So I encourage you to encourage you to do that. But if you're visiting with us, man, you have honored us with your presence, and uh, I just pray that you're encouraged this morning from uh, the service and just being here with one another, but also from God's word. And uh, before we start our message this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for another day that we're able to come together as a church family, as a a group of uh, folks desiring to worship you and, God, all that you have done for us. And, Father, we thank you for the ability to be here. There's so many that are at home, sick, recuperating, others that are traveling, and others who are just down with the common flu bug. And certainly, Father, I pray that you would have your hand of healing on each and every situation. And those that couldn't be with us today, God, I pray that you uh, just continue to encourage their hearts. God, we think about so many of our family members who are hurting and those that may be discouraged today. And certainly, God, I would be remiss if we didn't think of uh, the Lamb family and certainly Anita's father, especially during this time, Brother Frank. Just pray that you continue to have your hand of blessing on him and his life. And God, I pray for the little, the young lady, Sammy Roth, who fell yesterday during upward basketball and God, as uh, she broke her arm, God, we just pray that you would encourage her this morning and continue to be with her during this time. God, so many other things and people that we think about that come to mind who need uh, uh, healing, God, who need uh, to be encouraged by you, God, I pray that you would do that today as you allow. Father, I pray that as we look at this message today that our hearts might be open and receptive to what you have for us. And God, I pray that most of all that you're honored, that you're glorified, and that God, when we walk away from your house today, God, we will be changed. And God, that we'll desire to do those things that uh, please you, those things that bring you the most honor and the most glory. God, I pray that you will have the preeminence in everything that I say or do from this moment on. And I pray this in the precious name of my Lord and Savior, and for his sake, amen. Last week we spent some time, we've been talking, if you're visiting with us since the end of December, I've been doing a series on resolutions because it's the time that folks typically make resolutions even though now here uh, in the midst of February, if you made a resolution <laughs> right before New Year's, chances are you have not followed through with that resolution. Most people make resolutions and about three days to a week later they've given up on that resolution or they've, they've kind of directed their thoughts or their their opportunities elsewhere, but uh, last week we spent some time talking about the power of our words. And if you remember, I was saying last week that before we speak, we have to be mindful to take time to hide God's word in our heart. His, the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so we have to take time to hide God's word in our heart. I also encouraged you last week that it would be good for us that before we actually open up our mouths and speak to one another, uh, especially when it comes to a time of confrontation, that we would listen to one another and we would actually 
try and think about what we're going to say before we say it. And then we've concluded by just, I, I admonished every one of us, including myself, to take time to consider how my words, how our words might, number one, bring God the most honor and the glory that he deserves, but also how my words, how they might affect others, right? So as I speak what I speak, how do my words affect others? Uh, and, and I worked for a pastor in Missouri who used to always tell me this. He used to say, listen, never communicate in a way that could be understood. He said, communicate in a way that could never be misunderstood. And so I know that's a weird way of putting it, but, but what he was saying is make sure that our words are understood in such a way that nobody could ever take them out of context or misunderstand them or misconstrue them. And truly, our words and actions have impact, don't they? We have the opportunity to impact people positively, and we have the opportunity to impact people in a negative sense when it comes to our words. And that's why it's so important that we follow what God's Word has to say uh, and His strategy, really, for success. And so today, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 18. I want us to consider what happens when we actually fail to follow God's recipe for the right type of relationships. Now, if you were uh, going to make a big pan of brownies, that's good. My wife, bless her heart, made brownies this past week. I hinted for about two weeks about brownies, and then I walked in and I smelled brownies. It was, it was the most amazing smell to walk in. But what I realized when I tasted that brownie is she made it the right way. God's word has a lot to say to us that if we want to have a right relationship with one another, there's a recipe for success, and he gives it to us. And Travis read it a little bit earlier on, but the overwhelming result is when we fail to follow his recipe, uh, the overwhelming result is something that you and I have all experienced at some time in our life. It's this little word called conflict. Anybody ever, ever uh, been involved in a little bit of conflict in the home? How many people have had conflict in your home? Let's be honest. Conflict comes. You remember years ago, someone, I'll give you the clean version, they said life happens. Life happens. I would suggest to us all that conflict happens, right? It just happens. It's inevitable. Whether we like it or not, conflict is a part of our life. It just happens. And I, I, would, I would suggest to you this morning that you and I have either fallen into one or two categories when it comes to conflict. We have either been the initiators. Anybody ever been the initiator of conflict? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> we've, we've either been the initiator of conflict or we have been the ones who have been caught in its crosshairs. Right? You fall on one or two sides of this thing called conflict, and God, God's word has a lot to say. And by the way, I want you to be encouraged because you're not alone. I'm not alone. Listen, God's word actually reveals that the struggle surrounding conflict has been prevalent all throughout Scripture. In fact, if you think about it, conflict has been around all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. There was a little bit of conflict going on there, right? There was conflict with Eve and the serpent. Then there was conflict with Eve and Adam. And then there was conflict between Adam and God and Eve and God. And now there's conflict between the serpent and us. And, and so 
There's conflict all around there, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It seems inevitable, is what I put in my notes. It seems inevitable that at some point, you and I will deal or experience this thing called conflict. And I might add that you might experience it inside or outside of the church. <gasps> you don't say. You don't say. Could there be conflict with inside the church? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Listen, the title of my message today is simply Resolve to Resolve. I just want to encourage you to resolve to resolve. In other words, let's make a resolution today or a conscious effort, a firm decision to resolve conflict. Listen, conflict is a problem not because it comes. Conflict is a problem because we typically never deal with it appropriately. Conflict happens. It's going to take place. Ephesians 5, and guys, if you'll throw up Ephesians 5 and verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says this. It says, be ye therefore followers of God. Now just think about that. It says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering. Notice what he did. He gave us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Simply stated, what these two verses are telling us is that we need to imitate Jesus. And so if we think about it, the greatest conflict of all, let's stop and think about this for a second, the greatest conflict of all required God to offer the greatest sacrifice of all. Think about it. The greatest conflict of all required God to offer the greatest sacrifice of all. And he did that through Jesus Christ, his son. When he sent his son into the world to die on the cross for the sins of the world, this is exactly what he was doing. Jesus offered himself to resolve our greatest conflict. And the conflict was because of, uh, of the sin that was between us and God. Truly, when we look at scripture, Jesus' earthly life and ministry was all about resolving conflict. So... Put up the verse again, Ephesians 5 and 1 and 2. So here's the, here's the thing. If I'm going to imitate Jesus, if I'm going to walk in love as Christ loved us, then I'm going to be doing whatever it takes in my life. I'm going to be doing whatever it takes in my life to resolve conflict. Because Jesus' whole life and ministry, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was a, he was a conflict uh, resolver. He came to resolve that greatest conflict. So if I'm going to love you and you're, we're going to love one another as we say we love the Lord, then we all should be doing whatever it takes to resolve conflict. But sadly, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about the damage that results from conflict. Maybe you and your family, maybe you and the workplace have suffered some of the damage of conflict as an individual. Maybe your marriage has suffered the damages of conflict. Maybe your family has suffered the damage, your ch our church family and countries all around the world. But I want to remind us all that Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12 tells us something that's really important. Although I'm not sure that we pay proper attention to it. In fact, I'm, I'm guessing that we have all ignored this a time or two. But Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle not... Against what? Flesh and blood. 
See, my war is not with another man or my war is not with another woman, right? The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh or blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. It actually goes on and says, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. Listen, 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us that our adversary, our adversary as a roaring lion, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. See, so when I couple that with the fact that I'm not to wrestle with flesh and blood, I'm not at war with you, we shouldn't be uh, at war with one another, always having conflict between one another. Jesus gave a recipe that Travis read. I'm reminded that my battle is against spiritual wickednesses in high places. And the fact that the devil walks about seeking whom he may devour is incredibly important for us. Listen, and yet I'm also reminded that James chapter 4 verse 1 tells me that many of the wars and many of the fightings that exist among us, i.e. conflict, are the result of my own selfish lusts that war in my member. They war in my member. So unfortunately, most of the conflict that we face in our life, if we're really honest, is what I would call self-perpetuated. It's self-perpetuated. It continues to exist in our life because we don't deal with conflict the way that the Lord tells us to. So some of you might be saying, well, what are some of the root causes of conflict? I mean, there, there's so much conflict that exists in the world today, but what are some of the root causes? Well, Scripture says a lot about it. And let me just race through a few verses if you'll show them on the screen. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, the Bible says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers sins. Proverbs 15, 18, the Bible says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife. It's talking about stirring up conflict and contention. But he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. He kind of reduces it. Proverbs 16, 28, here's a neat little verse. A froward uh, froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. A froward man is someone who is a distorter of truth. Uh, 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 someone who goes about speaking perverse things. Someone who distorts the truth all the time. Anybody ever run into somebody that distorted the truth? Thank you, one person raised her hand. Nobody in this room, nobody has ever run into any... Thank you, another lady raised her hand now. Yeah, we run into people who distort the truth all the time. Uh, Proverbs 28, 25. The Bible says, He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. So it's talking about someone who's puffed up or prideful. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. And these are just a few of the behaviors, like really quickly, that we see in the book of Proverbs. Right? What Solomon, the wise man, has to say. But sometimes we know that conflict comes or is the result of misunderstanding. We have misunderstandings where people uh, hear one thing and they, they misinterpret what somebody has said. So there's a misunderstanding and conflict arises. Sometimes conflicts result from personal frustration, poor communication, or classes, clashes in personality. In the home, here's where the rubber meets the road. Conflict arises from things like finances. Husbands and wives have disagreements and conflict over how to manage the finances in home. Conflict rises in the home on how to discipline children. Conflict arises in the home. I'm going to say something nice, but it's not going to sound nice. When it comes to the in-laws. 
Sometimes conflict arises because of in-laws and extended family members. We don't like Cousin Eddie setting up his RV in our driveway for a month. We're like, Cousin Eddie's got to go. Honey, I love your cousin, but he's got to go, right? And so sometimes conflict arises there. Responsibilities in the home. Expectations in the home. Conflict arises from. I remember when I first got married, I had a whole bunch of expectations that 28 years later I've realized are a bunch of just foolishness. Right? <laughs> now, my wife never had an expectation that was never filled. I have fulfilled all her expectations. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, conflict is just, is just something that takes place. Oh, we have, to be, we have to be careful. But truthfully, I wrote in my notes that when we get down to the brass tacks of things, conflict is usually the result from something that you and I all struggle from called selfishness it's selfishness we have conflict because we want it our way right now and you know we want it when we want it how we want it and most of the time it's like right now and so conflict arises so the question is what can we do how do we go about as I said on the title resolve to resolve how do we go about resolve to resolve well I would suggest if you're a note taker put these thoughts down first of all remind yourself that conflict happens. Number one, you need to remind yourself that conflict is just a part of life. It happens. Let's see what Jesus says about dealing with it. Travis read in Matthew chapter 18 in verse 15 and following. Look at what verse 15 of that passage says. Jesus says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go, he says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone and if he hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. So in this instance, look at this verse. In this instance, a brother or sister has offended us or caused the conflict. So what you see from there, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. So the point Jesus is making is somebody, we have been caught in the crosshair, so to speak, of conflict. It's, it's coming at us. It's not something that we're perpetuating, but it's coming towards us. But notice Jesus also says, uh, you may be caught in its crosshairs, but he gives us some good news. In fact, back in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 23 and 24, he actually speaks to the other side of the coin. So in Matthew chapter 18, he's speaking to you and I as if we're caught in its crosshairs. But in Matthew chapter 5, he speaks to us as if we are the initiators of conflict. Notice what he says. In verse 23, he says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and then there rememberest that thy brother hath aught with thee. Well, hold on. Why would thy brother have aught with thee? See, evidently we have been the initiators of conflict. And we know that our brother has aught with thee. Notice what he says. He says, if thou rememberest that thy brother hath aught with thee, that means we knew that he's got somewhat against us. We know that there's a conflict that exists. Notice what Jesus says. He says, leave there thy gift before the altar. And he says, go thy way. What does he say? First be reconciled. First be reconciled to thy brother. And then he says, you come on back. And offer thy gift. So again, there are instances of conflict woven all through Scripture, which 
Which is why I believe when you see conflict after conflict, you think of Abraham and Sodom, you think of Jacob and Esau and the children of Israel and the Gentiles and on and on, right? There's conflict webbed, weaved all through the Bible, which is why I think Jesus comes back to Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 and he says that you and I should do what it takes to resolve it. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, in verse number 17 and following, the Bible says this. It says, recompense, and that word recompense means reward or return. So, reward no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse number 18, he says, if it be possible, I bracket this in my scripture, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. He's talking about living in a way that is void or free from conflict. In Ephesians 4, 26, the Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Giving another reference to dealing with our conflict. In Luke chapter 17, verse number 1, Jesus said unto his disciples, he says, It is impossible that the offense will come. What he was saying, I don't want to take that out of context because he's using it in a different light. But what it reminds us is that men and women are prone to sin against God and man. You and I, at some point, have and will most likely continue to sin against God and man. Now remember, we should not sin so that we could just uh, absorb and call upon the grace of God for the forgiveness of sin. But the chances are that at some point we're going to give way uh, to our uh, so-called fleshly desires and fleshly lusts that war in our members, as the Bible says. And we will sin not only against God, but we'll sin against men, which brings conflict. And so it's just inevitable it's going to happen. And so for our discussion this morning, I just want us to recognize that the reality of, con of conflict is that it will not cease to exist simply because I preach one message on it. It's not going to go away. We will walk out this door today, and I pray that you're encouraged, and I pray that you're challenged, but you may walk out this door, and by the time you hit the car, you have conflict. By the way, has that ever happened to anybody? You leave church, you're like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you start just singing, and then you get to the car. I hate you, I hate you, what are you doing, what are you doing? And man, what a great, what a great afternoon we have. We pull out on Highway 29, and we're already angry with other people that are whizzing by in their cars. They cut me off, you know, or whatever. Oh, listen, conflict is just a reality. I think about the Apostle Paul. One of the reasons, you may or may not remember this, but one of the reasons the Apostle Paul first wrote the church at Corinth was because the church was filled with divisions. It was filled with divisions. In fact, in chapter 11, verse number 18 of, the, uh, of his first letter to the church at Corinth, he says, I hear that there be divisions among you. And he says, I partly believe it. He says, I partly believe it. Why? Because he had heard about it. He had heard that there were divisions among this church. You see, word spreads quickly. In fact, I said in our, in our Bible study hour, I said, the only thing that spreads better than good news is bad news. And if there's conflict that's brewing within a church, guess what? Every church in town knows it. It's like, oh man, did you hear about such and such church? You hear about what's going on with that pastor? You hear about what's going on with the Sunday school leader of the young adults, right? We're quick to share bad news, but very slow. It's interesting to me because it's very slow to share good news. 
hmm, conflict happens. I think about, uh, you remember James, John, and their mother? They come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. And they want to, you guys are shaking your head. You're right, Brian. They want to they sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. And verse 24 of Matthew chapter 20 says that when the ten heard it, when they, when they heard it, they're moved with indignation against the two brethren. They weren't mad at their mom, but they were mad at them. They're like, they, they, gave, the, they gave a pass to mom, but to James and John, they're mad at them. And so conflict arises in the craziest situations. You think about in the uh, book of Philippians, Paul's writing the church of Philippi in chapter 4 and verse number 2. Uh, Paul requests that uh, Udia and, and Syntyche, he says, he says I, I, I'm asking you to resolve your dispute. I'm asking you to resolve your quarrel. Whatever the disagreement, whatever the dis differences are, he asked them in chapter 4 and verse number 2, he asked them to be of the same mind. In the Lord, because he knew that the dispute that was taking place between these two was having an effect on the church, which is why you say, Is that really what was happening? Yes, because if you go back to chapter two, Paul said that his desire was that the whole church be of the same mind, one mind, right? And he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, listen, conflict happens even between well meaning people who serve the Lord. I've seen it happen over and over. I'm, I'm leading this ministry, and this, is, and this is my realm, and then somebody else is leading another ministry, and then they butt heads over something that is superficial and really doesn't amount to any big deal, but because they never deal with conflict correctly, it can have the opportunity and the ability to ruin a ministry. I think of the Apostle Paul. He's getting ready to go on his second missionary journey, Right? And we look at that in Acts chapter 15 and he and his partner from the first missionary journey, a man by the name of Barnabas, they actually separate from one another because they have a disagreement, a conflict over one guy, John Mark. You see, John Mark had gone with them on the first missionary journey. And so Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark on this second trip. And Paul says, no, 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 he's a quitter. See, we were out on the field and he went home, he left us. Right after we got to Cyprus, he headed back on, to, back on to Antioch. No, we don't want to take him. And Barnabas said, listen, calm down, let's take him. But Acts chapter 15 and verse number 39, the Bible says this. It says the contention was so sharp, it was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. These were two men that walked with the Lord. These were two men that were filled with the Holy Spirit. These were men who had been eyewitnesses to miracles. And yet conflict arose. So we need to remind ourselves that conflict happens. Number two, I want to encourage you that resolving conflict should, I say should, resolving conflict should be a high priority in our life. Look at Matthew chapter 18 again. Look at what the Bible says in verse 15 and following. It says, moreover, if thy brethren, if thy brethren shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him, Notice what it says there. Does it say to take anybody at first? It says, no, go alone. Go alone. And then it says, if he shall hear thee, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. Verse number 16. But if he will not hear thee, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse number 17. And if he shall neglect to hear thee, 
Tell it to the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be as a heathen man and a publican. By the way, this message is not about the process of going one alone and then taking a group of one or two others and then bringing it before the church. This is not a message on church discipline. By the way, this recipe for success should never, ever, ever be utilized for somebody's destruction. It should be used for their ultimate restoration and the glorification of God. If any church sets out to discipline somebody and they're so hard that they are not looking for uh, the opportunity to restore and to, to lift up the person, they are not following Jesus' recipe for biblical correction. When conflict happens, Jesus says that you and I are to go. It should be a high priority. He gives us no choice. His message is clear. He says, go and follow the steps that I have given you to bring about resolution. It should be a high priority for us. And some of us are sitting here this morning and we know in our heart of hearts that we've got conflict in our family. We've got conflict in the workplace. We've got conflict between maybe one another, maybe even in this room. And yet we sit idly by and let it fester like a canker. And then we wonder why our lives don't seem to be blessed. See, God has a recipe for everything, but we have to follow his word. Some things I've learned over my almost 53 years of life is that avoiding the problem will not make it go away. I've been there, tried that. Anybody ever tried to avoid the problem? Me too. Avoiding the problem doesn't make it go away. It just makes it worse. I've also learned that talking about the problem or slandering others when I'm talking about the problem doesn't make it go away. It just makes it worse. I've also learned that ignoring the problem will not make it go away. I've learned that stewing about the problem doesn't make it go away. Anybody a stewer in here? You like beef stew, conflict stew? You like to, <laughs> like to stir the pot of conflict? It's like, mmm, that tastes good, right? No. Stewing on the problem never makes it go away. Jesus said, go and deal with the problem. You see, no matter whether we are the cause of conflict or the ones who are caught in the crosshairs of conflict, our resolve to resolve conflict should be a high priority. But folks, can I encourage you? We should always be willing to take a little bit of humility when we do it. You see... It's not a matter of who's right. A lot of times people come to me and they say, Pastor, I want you to offer us some counsel. And I'm like, okay, can I grab a mint? And I sit there and I listen. And really what it boils down to is the wife wants me to tell the husband he's wrong and the husband wants me to tell the wife she's wrong. The reality, when there's conflict, it doesn't matter who's right. What matters is who's going to do the work to make it right. See, it's like, well, I could live with conflict, or I could humble myself. <laughs> and come down to my wife. Now, I'm not resolving any conflict, because I'm on good standing, I have you know. <laughs> but there have been times, and she will tell you, there have been times where literally there's conflict. And men, have you ever been there when you just don't know what to say? I'm going to give you a little advice. Don't say anything. The Bible says you will be counted as wise if you just keep your mouth shut. There have been times in my life 
when I've had to reach across the great divide <laughs> to my wife, and I've had to look into her beautiful blue eyes and say, I don't even know what we were fighting for. <laughs> and then I utter those words in Spanish, un pasito, un pasito, little kiss, give me a little kiss. And you know what? A kiss goes a long way. Why would I want to live with conflict? I don't like the guest bedroom that much. I don't hang pictures in the guest bedroom for a reason. I don't want to hang out there. I want to stay with my funny little honey. Conflict. Listen, and you know what? The problem is the devil, he loves us to be embroiled in conflict. He's like, look, look, I'm keeping the church down. You will not keep the church down because Jesus said he would build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He can cause conflict. Guys, we can be the cause or we can, we can be the initiators or caught in its hair. But back in Matthew chapter 5, I read you verse 23 and 24. But in verse number 25, Jesus gives another principle to consider when we seek to resolve our conflict. He says, agree with thy adversary quickly. Get her done. He says, get her done. In Ephesians 4, 26, I already read it once. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. He says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. That means don't go to bed angry with your spouse. Don't go to bed angry, young person, with your mom or dad. Tell them you're sorry for crying out loud. If they're in the wrong, go to them and talk about it. But don't go to bed angry with one another. Because in the morning you wake up and you're angrier than before. I don't go to bed angry. I've just made that decision. You say, have you ever gone to bed angry? Yes. And when I've woke up the next morning, I'm like, why did you do that? And so now, if there's any little bit of anger, if there's any little bit of conflict in my heart, whether it be between my wife and I or a kid and I, I try to resolve it. I just can't stand the thought of going to bed and there being conflict. Because guess what? I remind, and I do it more now because I'm getting older, right? It's why I don't try and leave the house without kissing my wife. Because I don't know, it might be the last time. And I don't want to be on some side of the road where some nut has run into me and gasping for my last breath and thinking I forgot to kiss my wife in the morning. I want her to know that I love her when I leave the house and I want her to know that I love her when I come home. I want, to know her that, I want her to know that I love her when I lay down and I want her to know that I love her when I get up. Conflict will destroy your marriage. Well, to destroy your home, Jesus said we're to go and to make things right just as soon as we sense something is wrong. He said if you know your brother's got aught with you, then leave your gift and go and get it right. Don't write a letter. Do me a favor, don't write a letter, don't text it, don't tweet it, don't publish a Facebook message, don't send an email or a voicemail. Go face-to-face, one-on-one. That's exactly what Jesus said to do. We have lost the art of communication because we don't communicate anymore. It may be messy. (laughs) Have you ever dealt with conflict? It may be messy. And it can seem inconvenient at times, but folks, God loves you and he loves us and cares about us so much 
that he wants the very best for our marriages. He wants the best for our families. He wants the best for our friendships, for our relationships in the workplace, for our relationships in our neighborhoods. And he wants the very best for our relationships within his church. As we go, we need to make sure, though, that we're going in a way that relies on the Lord to resolve conflict. I, like many, maybe in this room or many who are listening, lack wisdom. But Jesus gives me a promise. His word gives me a promise. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In James chapter 1, the Bible tells me that if I lack wisdom, all I need to do is ask God. If you lack wisdom, you say, well, I don't know how to deal with conflict. How about getting on your knees and praying and asking God for some wisdom before you deal with conflict? Number two, Ephesians 4, 15 reminds me to speak the truth in love. Remember, the goal is restoration, not destruction. Colossians 4, 6 tells me that my speech should always be filled with grace and that it should be seasoned with salt. Listen, I don't like bland food. People don't like bland apologies. Oh, we need to fill our words with grace. And the only way we do that is remembering Jesus Christ who gives his amazing grace to us. Proverbs 12, again, Proverbs 12, or 10, 12, the last part of it says that love covereth all sins. I was thinking about what the prophet Micah says in Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. The Bible illustrates what the Lord requires for each and every one of us, truly. And it says this, it says, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee? Notice what Micah says. This is what the Lord requires. He requires us to do justly and to love mercy. We love mercy when it comes to us, don't we? Thank you. We love mercy when it comes to us, but we're not quick to show it to somebody else, which is why we have conflict. But the Bible says that we're to do justly and we're to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Someone has said this. Check this out. Someone said judgment is what right requires while mercy is what love requires. If you say you love somebody, oh, we need to be merciful with one another. May God help us to employ both judgment Mercy, while we effectively walk according to his word, his will, and his way to resolve conflict. And then finally, very briefly, I would just say this, resolving conflict yields heavenly approval. It yields heavenly approval. If you notice back in Matthew chapter 18, in verse number 18 and following, the Bible says, Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, he says, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, referencing prayer, that they gotta, they're praying together. Now this group with conflict has prayed together. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You see, when we deal with conflict according to the Lord's way, it's clear to me that heaven responds. When we do things the way God tells us to do them, heaven responds. And when heaven responds, I put in my notes, nothing is impossible. You know, when heaven responds, love is possible. When heaven responds, forgiveness is possible. When heaven responds, restoration is possible. When heaven responds, resolutions are possible. And when heaven responds, oh, you and I can be sure that we have heaven's approval. 
And so I would just close the message by saying this. If we know that God wants us to resolve conflict, we know it should be a high priority, and we know that heaven approves when we do things according to God's way, if you're here this morning in this room, or you're listening online, and you would say to me, you know what, Pastor Greg, I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ my Lord, then I would encourage you, my, my admonishment, my encouragement back to you would be, make the resolution today to resolve any area of conflict you have. And I would say, do it today. You say, well, I can't, I can't go, you told me to make it face-to-face. We have a little thing called FaceTime these days. And I'll let you borrow my computer. You say, I don't have a laptop. I don't have an iPad. I don't, I don't have an iPad, you know. Uh, I don't FaceTime on those things. But if you need to get in touch with somebody who is miles and miles apart and you need to resolve conflict, I want to encourage you to do it today. You say, why the pressure sail to do it today? Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. God, help us to take, take the opportunities that we have today to resolve conflict. It's been said that you cannot stay right with God unless you keep right with others. You cannot stay right with God unless you keep right with others. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you, take care of any area of conflict you have today. But if you're here in this room or you're listening online, and you would be honest and you would say, Pastor, I do not have a relationship as of yet with Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't, I, I've never asked the Lord to forgive me. I've never asked him to come into my life and to save me. And, and so I don't have that relationship with you. And I hear what you're saying about conflict resolution and all these things. Here's, here's what I would encourage you to, to do today. I would say, if that's you, then I beg you to, by faith, trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and to ask him to come into your life today. You say, well, why would you say that? It goes back to something I said at the beginning of the message. When I said that our greatest conflict, the greatest conflict in the world, is not my conflict with another man or a woman. The greatest conflict that I have in the world is the conflict that I have because of my sin with God. And until that conflict is rectified through the blood of Jesus Christ, I will always have conflict. And so, so I would just say, why not trust him today? In fact, Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. This is speaking of Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I look over Paul's letter to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy in chapter 2, verse number 5 and 6. The Bible says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Folks, I got some news for you. Being a Baptist or coming to a Baptist church will not resolve your greatest conflict. How dare you say that? Well, it's biblical. Being a Methodist, being a Presbyterian, calling yourself a Catholic or Episcopalian or whatever label or whatever denomination you want to adhere to your name will not resolve the greatest conflict that we ever have. Only Jesus can resolve 
our greatest conflict. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He does that when you and I place our trust and our faith in him. By the way, God's word actually reminds me that there's nothing I can do to merit his forgiveness. There's nothing I could do. You say, well, well, it seems like you're living a pretty good life. Guess what? That still doesn't make me worthy of his forgiveness. In Romans chapter 3, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. It says there's none that are righteous. Not even me, not you. None of us can earn his forgiveness. The Bible says in verse 23 of that same chapter that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In, in, in three chapters later, in chapter 6 and 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, what, what is this all this about? It's about the fact that if we still have the greatest conflict of all between us and God, why not trust Christ today? See, there's nothing I can do to earn his forgiveness and, and his word's pretty clear that I'm a sinner. His word's pretty clear that there's a wage for my sin. But his word is also glorious clear. When it says in Romans chapter 5, in verse number 8, that God commendeth his love towards us. He proved it. He actually proved his love towards us. In that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me and he died for you. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 and 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, good news, thou shalt be saved. For, notice it goes on, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What a wonderful opportunity. Not only could we leave this place having rectified, not that we did it, but that Jesus did it by placing our faith and trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that greatest conflict of all in our life could be taken away and we could move on to dealing with the other conflicts that are in our lives. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13, probably a verse that I quote the most. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Life has a lot of stuff that it's throwing our way. The easiest thing that you and I could ever do is to bow our head in our hearts and say, Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. I didn't even need Pastor Greg to tell me that. I realize that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I may not understand it all, but Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart and into my life today, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to become the Savior of my life. And you know what? The Bible says that if we'll call out on the name of the Lord, that's exactly what he'll do. And that conflict will be resolved. And so I encourage you, if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, take the steps necessary. Resolve to resolve. Resolve to resolve your conflict with one another. Resolve to resolve conflict with your family members, your co-workers, your neighbors, whatever the case may be. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the message is still applicable to you. Resolve to resolve the greatest conflict that you and I, the only way it can be resolved is when we place our faith in Christ. The choice is up to us. Whatever your need is today, I pray that you'll do business with the Lord. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 
We'll see you next time.